We have any movie buffs in here? You can raise your hand. Now, this is going to be an interactive part of the sermon, okay? Interactive. I'm giving you permission to shout out the answers to the three questions I'm about to ask you. Which film won Best Picture this past year at the Academy Awards? I thought I heard it. Birdman is correct. In the first service, everybody was too afraid to answer. Birdman. I didn't see it, okay? I'm just, I'll get to my point in a second. Birdman. Best actor this past year? Eddie. There you go. In the theory of everything, again, another movie that I did not see. Last but not least, best actress this past year. And then we have the awkward silence. Okay, I'm giving it away. Julianne Moore in Still Alice, okay? I saw none of these movies, okay? What I've come to find, the more and more uh, I watch the Academy Awards, the more and more I'm aware of the fact that I've seen zero of these movies. We just don't go to the theater a lot. But I grew up with a dad who is a huge movie guy. There's a 95% chance that when we go home to see my parents that he's watching one of three things. The Atlanta Braves, an Alabama athletic event, or Turner Classic Movies. We have anybody in here that's a Turner Classic Movie fan? Okay. I don't have a problem with Turner Classic Movies, but they're all, mostly, not all, I get tired of the black and white films. I just have to be honest with you. I grew up with color television. Black and white movies are usually not that good. But I can't thank my dad for a couple of movies. If I made like a list of my top five movies, these two were in it, okay? The first one is up on the screen, The Sting. How many of you have ever seen The Sting? Paul Newman, Robert Redford, they're con artists, conning a millionaire out of tons of money, okay? Interestingly enough, Robert Redford's character in this movie is actually inspired by a man named Bob Cole. Bob Cole actually went to my wife's church when she was in high school. So I have met Bob Cole. He actually became a believer, had a very successful prison ministry where he went and shared the gospel with men and women in the prisons for years. He passed away in 2010. But I met Bob Cole and I asked him to give me some tricks of the trade in the con artist business. And he regretfully declined. Okay? (laughs) But also... Another movie that is in my top five, for sure, is Cool Hand Luke. This is where we get the very famous line, what we have here is failure to communicate, right? Okay, Paul Newman in this movie is a prisoner. And so I mentioned to you Cool Hand Luke this morning only because we are looking at one of Paul's letters where he is pinning this letter from a prison cell. So if you have your Bible with me this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 1. As we read Paul's letter to, I think, his favorite church. Now, I know I'm speculating here. He never made a list. But I think the church at Philippi is, if not his favorite, one of his favorite churches. Okay, And I want you to notice the tone in which he writes this first little section that we're going to look at. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul loved the church at Philippi. There's no question about it. And I would encourage you as we continue our Raise the Praise all the way through the month of August to begin to think about some of the praises in your life that have happened as a result of the church. Whether it's experiences, relationships, events. Might not have even happened at First Baptist New Orleans. But begin to think of how God has worked in your life and how you can praise him for events of praise that you have experienced in the church. We know this about Paul. We know that the church at Philippi was a source of inspiration to him, a source of excitement, a source of joy. And I think that was my mic. Is it still on? All right. And a source of joy to them. We know that he loved this church. It mattered to him. Now the question becomes, why did Paul care so much about the church at Philippi? Well, he gives us the answer. Because he partnered with them in the gospel work. I want you to think about this for a moment. The sweetest and the richest relationships you will experience on this earth will come with the people that you do the gospel work with. Family, yes, it's important. But the richest, the sweetest times in your life will be with people proclaiming the gospel whether it be on a mission trip, whether it be in your small group class, at a Care Effect location on a Wednesday night. When you are partnering with people, proclaiming the gospel, there is a connection that God gives us with those people that is unlike anything else. And this is why Paul loves the church at Philippi, because he partnered with them in making the gospel known. Paul cherished the church. And I believe this morning, Paul is teaching us and reminding us that we need to be cherishing the church. Group Publishing is an organization located in Loveland, Colorado. Okay, They're a Christian publishing organization. They offer these free monthly webinars, and a number of us in the office listen to them because they're free, they're insightful, they help us kind of gauge where the church is moving, trends in the church. And they had one in June that I thought was very interesting. And it was based on the subject of church refugees. And I was like, church refugees? What are they talking about here? So I signed up to listen to it. It was an hour long. They always do a really good job of keeping it at an hour. Okay? Now this book, this is based on a book. And in the webinar, they interviewed a man by the name of Josh 
Packard. The, bush is go- the book is going to uh, flash up on the screen. Church refugees. Sociologists reveal why people are done with church, but not their faith. And I thought to myself, this is interesting, so let's listen to it. He explains, and by the way, Josh Packard is a believer in Christ, so this isn't something that he's trying to promote to damage the church or bash the church. He is a believer in Christ. He's a sociologist, professor at Northern Colorado, and he specializes in sociology and religion. Okay, this is his specialty. And he interviewed these people, and he was trying to figure out why are these people claiming to still have great faith, but yet be disconnected from the church? This is the claim that they're making. I want you to listen to some of the responses that I wrote down. This is what one person said. I didn't lose faith in God, but I did lose faith in the church. I'm back now, but I still don't fully trust it. Another person said, I didn't come back to church. I came to this community. If this congregation didn't exist, it's not like there's anywhere else for me to go. I mean, every other church I've been to just judges me constantly. That doesn't happen here. I'm valued here, even if people don't always agree with me. And then my personal favorite comment as a Baptist is this person that says, at the last church I went to before here, they just seemed to put up more and more walls and barriers so that it got to the point that just to have a simple meal in the church with some friends or a Bible study had to go through like three committees. It just wasn't worth it anymore. So as Baptists, we can all identify with that. So I finished this webinar confused on a number of fronts. First off, you cannot grow in your faith apart from Jesus' church. The avenue through which Jesus Christ chose to expand his kingdom is the church. It is not possible, it is not biblical to think that you cannot be engaged with a body of believers and claim to be growing in your faith because it is an aspect of your faith that is essential. The second thing that the study doesn't mention is the fact that most of the people that he's interviewing, they're still involved in church. They're just not involved in a traditional service at 1045 on a Sunday morning like you and I are. They're meeting at coffee shops houses. So they're still fully engaged in church. They're just not calling it that. Friends, we are to cherish Jesus's church and to be a part of it and to plug into it. That's what Paul is telling the church at Philippi to do. Cherish the church that he had planted. As you keep moving on in the text, what you find is One of the most famous verses that we hear Paul ever say. Keep working, and God is going to keep working in your life until the completion of it at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? God has prepared a good work for all of us. What is the good work that Paul is talking about here? When you think about this, it's not an act of compassion. It's not a spiritual discipline. The good work that Paul is talking about here is the work of salvation. Done Not through anything that we can do, but done through Jesus Christ. I would encourage you this morning to keep working. Not for your salvation, but keep working. Knowing that Jesus is working through you 
to bring that salvation to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, one of our core competencies here, we mention them from time to time. I mention them. Christy mentions them. David mentions them. Our last core competency is embrace the future, right? Now, this has both an earthly component to it and a heavenly component. The earthly component is that we embrace the future knowing that we don't know what's going to happen to us in this life tomorrow or even this afternoon, but we know Christ is at the center of it. And because of that, we can embrace whatever comes our way. There's a heavenly component to that as well. We embrace the future knowing that one day we will be reunited with our creator in heaven and will receive our glorified bodies and will worship him forever in eternity. I believe as Paul is penning this letter to the church at Philippi, he is thinking of both his earthly future and his heavenly future. It would have been real easy for Paul to to say, I'm in prison, there's no way that God can use me. But yet he penned some of his finest letters, chained up, sitting right next to a prison guard. Paul understood the concept of keep working. Not all of us have glamorous jobs. Not all of us influence thousands of people. But we are to embrace the daily grind of life. Even if it's just waking up, going to work, come home. Waking up, going to work, come home. Waking up, going to work, take kids here, come home. God can use you in the daily grind of everyday life. Keep working. Keep plugging away. Many people are saying today that the church is dying. I've mentioned this before from the pulpit. Studies are saying the church is dying. Churches are plateauing or declining. Tim Keller wrote a book about five to seven years ago called The Reason for God. Okay, Many of you have read this before. He's a pastor of a church in Manhattan, New York. Redeemer Presbyterian is the name of the church. He deals with a lot of young professionals in New York that are wrestling not only with Christianity, but just the idea of a God in general. Okay, so this is the audience that he's writing to. And one of the things that he's trying to disprove as he makes his argument in the book is this idea that religion is dead. More specifically, that Christianity is dead. You will hear many people say that Christianity is dying, that it's declining. I want you to listen to some of the statistics that he gives. In Nigeria... There are six times more Anglicans than in all of the United States. In Ghana, which is the place that we go to four to five, six times a year, there are more Presbyterians in the country of Ghana than in all of the United States and Scotland combined. If that doesn't blow your socks off, Korea, in the last 100 years, has gone from 1% Christian to 40% Christian. Experts are saying that within the next 50 to 100 years, there could be half a billion Christians in China. The church is dying. God is at work all around us. He's working at this church. He's working in this community. He's working in our country. And he is working globally around the world. And just because we might have a distorted view of the Western church, that does not mean that God is not doing miracles and saving souls around the world. One day, China will be, will be bringing more missionaries to us than we will send to them. God is working. 
You keep working. Because he's working in China, in Korea, in Nigeria, means we have to keep working here. Keep plugging away. Paul also realized the importance of praying for the church. Now, I put on the screen the capital C church, but there's also the little C church, okay? So I want you praying for the church, big C, and the church, lowercase c, both globally and locally. It's interesting when you read what Paul is writing here. What's the thing that he prays for the Philippians first for? What does he say? He doesn't pray for increased attendance, larger buildings, new strategies. He prays that their love would abound more and more. That's what mattered to Paul. That's what should matter to us, is our love. Donald Whitney wrote a book. He's a spiritual formations teacher, uh, professor. He wrote a book entitled, uh, Ten Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. Okay, many of you have probably read it. It's been out a while. It's not a new book. And he poses these ten questions. And you can take these questions and kind of gauge how your spiritual life is based on the answers to these questions. Now, it's not a sure-proof plan, okay? But one of the questions he asks early on in this book, one way that you can gauge where you are spiritually is to ask yourself the question, are you more loving? Sounds pretty simple. Are you more loving today of God, of other people, of your spouse, of your children, than you were when you first accepted Christ? Are you moving along on the spectrum of love? They will know we are Christians by our what? Our love. And so Paul realizes before he prays for anything else for this church, he wants their love to abound more and more. But he doesn't stop there. He continues to pray. He prays for knowledge. Not the type of knowledge that puffs up but the type of knowledge that increases our understanding of who God is. And when you pray for love and you pray for knowledge, you then ask God for discernment. The word for discernment that we found here is only used one time in the entire New Testament, and it's used by Paul right here. Some of your versions might say moral insight. It's discernment. Paul's the only one that uses it in the New Testament. So you pray for love, knowledge, discernment. And then in verse 10, we find the purpose clause of this entire section. Why are we praying for love and knowledge and discernment? We are praying for it so Paul can write this, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Could it be that the church in China, Nigeria, Korea is growing at a fast rate because they are more concerned with purity and holiness than many of us in the American church are. Many of these churches around the world, their lives look radically different from the people around them. And in many of our churches in America today, our lives are virtually indistinguishable from the people that live outside of it. I want to re-examine my holiness this morning. I want to re-examine my purity. I want 
Christ to come in and change my desires and change my priorities. Yes, I know that in Christ we are made righteous, but we still have a job to pursue holiness. And as we pray for the church, both globally and the church locally, we need to be praying that God would give us a sense of holiness, both here locally and globally. Paul doesn't end, though, in verse 10. He keeps going and he encourages the church at Philippi to bear fruit. I eat every morning for breakfast a bowl of maple, brown sugar, instant oatmeal with blueberries, okay? Blueberries, dietitians and scientists are calling bluebell, uh, not bluebell, excuse me. I've got ice cream on my mind. They're, I wish I could have bluebell for breakfast, that would be incredible. Blueberries are now being called a superfood, right? You've heard this term, superfood. You got blueberries, kale, a few other nasty things on the list. But it's called a superfood, okay? So every morning when I make my oatmeal, I take the blueberries and I sprinkle them on top of my oatmeal. And as I eat the oatmeal, I feel like I'm punching cancer in the face, okay? Now, I know this is just an image that I have in my mind, but they're saying that blueberries, kale, things like it, are really high in antioxidants and things like that. And so I feel good about myself when I eat blueberries. I eat blueberries and bananas, a few apples here and there. I'm not a big fruit eater, okay? But when I hear Paul talk about fruit, my mind always goes to food. And as many of you know, my mind goes to food quite often. Paul talks about fruit not only here in Philippians 1, but in Galatians 5 as well, right? We have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit that he mentions. And as he gets here in verse 11 to the church at Philippi, he tells them, as much as I love you, as much as I'm praying for love and knowledge and discernment in your life, what I want you to do is to bear fruit. Paul steals this idea from Jesus, okay? When Jesus says a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So this isn't new to Paul. We know all about fruit. The reason Paul wants this church to bear fruit is because that is how we stand apart from the world. How does the church shine like a city on the hill? We bear fruit. How do we, as followers of Christ, individually stand apart from the surrounding culture in which we live? We bear fruit. Ashley and I walked through doors of this church for the first time on June 21st of 2009. We've been here just over six years. We got married June 6th, moved here the next week, came to church on June 21st, okay? We walked through the, the main uh, front doors out there. We were greeted uh, by the sweetest man that we had never met in our lives, but he acted like he'd known us for 20 years. His name was Wes Carter. We all know Wes. Now, at that time, we had worship at 
9.30, and then Bible study at 11. Most of us remember that, okay? So we came to worship. The worship was fine. I don't remember any songs that we sang. The sermon was fine. I don't remember anything about it. It wasn't bad. I just don't remember anything about it. Then we went into the fellowship hall and entered a, a young married small group. And that afternoon, around 2 or 3 o'clock, we got a call from somebody in our class inviting us to dinner that night. They had met us for like 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. And they had already invited us to dinner. Ashley and I stayed at this church, not because of the music, no offense to Robert, not because of the preaching, no offense to David, they were both great, but we stayed at this church because people loved us. And I know First Baptist New Orleans to be a church that loves other people and that loves its community. And I pray that as we continue to grow, as we continue to go into our communities, that we would cherish our church, that we would keep working, that we would pray for the church, both locally and globally, and that we would bear fruit. Paul tells us, These three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Praise God for First Baptist New Orleans. Praise God that he has chosen to work through us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? God, Anything that happens in this room, anything that happens in this world happens because you allow it to happen. So we don't take credit for anything that happens. God, thank you for choosing to work through us and in us. God, I pray that we would take this passage today and reflect on what it means for us, not only individually, but corporately as a body of believers. Teach us, shape us, mold us, into who you want us to be as a church. God, we are listening to your spirit right now. Convict us. Intercede on our behalf. We ask these things so that you can get all the praise, glory, and honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray.